2: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
3: It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show, brought to you by the Athletic UK. And the final international break of the calendar year is coming to an end. And The Fulham Marathon begins now. Several months of Fulham uninterrupted. No international breaks to get in the way. In today's episode, we're going to be looking back at a big international break for several Fulham players. Of course, we'll be starting with the big man Alexander Mitrovic and his exploits. Uh, we're going to be discussing the Fulham women. Uh, they had an important match Uh, In the FA Cup first round on Sunday. So we're going to be speaking to Izzy Barker as well as Peter on that. And we're going to be previewing Saturday's match against Barnsley. Will they have a new manager bounce? All to be revealed. And it is the Thursday Club. And I'm joined by the regular gang, Jack Collins.
1: Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello, hello. Sorry I missed last week. It was uh, a hole in my week not having uh, speaking to you guys. That's all right. my
2: heart, Peter. Yeah. Not being not having you on the podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you seem to cope okay without me, so it's all good.
2: I just remember, we just yapped more at each other. I think which is <laughs> the key. But alas, it's um, it's an, it's nice to be back at full strength, full
3: capacity. It was a bit of a yappy podcast, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. It was very old school in that we we just literally chatted nonsense at each other for like good 15 minute periods of it um, and then did some good stuff in the middle so you never know you never know what you're getting with fulhamish but i feel like this one's going to be you know slightly more uh well look, there's lots to chat about isn't there i love the international break this makes me really happy
3: yeah it, it does feel like one of those international breaks where there's a lot of fulham talking points um let's get on to the big one alexander mitrovic Sending Serbia to the World Cup finals. I was fuming that I couldn't watch this, right? I was, I was free on Sunday night, right? I had now TV and my now TV would not allow me to watch the flipping Portugal Serbia match because I don't get the red button game. So I sat there watching Spain, Sweden, which was a fairly boring match. And as it oh, petered I think out. That's unfair. It was Spain a bit... Sweden was a good game. No, it wasn't, mate. It really, really <laughs> I had, wasn't. I had two I was double
2: screening. I thought but in fact I thought that Spain, Sweden, especially in the first half, was a better game. But alas, all
3: right, go on. Anyway, I really wanted to watch Portugal Serbia, but I thought, okay, well, you know, it's unlikely that Mitrovic is going to do anything anyway. It petered towards the 90th minute one or I thought, well, I probably haven't missed too much. And then Twitter, (laughs) Mitro, 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 Mitrovic. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Fulham Twitter, Serbian Twitter, which there's a big crossover between now, exploded and a 90th minute header, uh, Tadic cross and Mitrovic sending his side to the World Cup finals. Jack. Uh, we both kind of tweeted about it one of the best redemption stories you could ever ever imagine of 366 days between his penalty miss against scotland which cost him a place at euro 2020 to that header which sends them to qatar 2022 in ronaldo's backyard you couldn't write it
2: no no it was, it was phenomenal wasn't it just to see that kind of elation on his face and the celebrations and those images which will go down in history and look there's I think there's a little bit more in this than perhaps we're even giving it credit for, right? Yes, we can talk about the redemption arc. And yes, we can talk about Mitrovic kind of coming back to glory. There's also this kind of overarching argument from a Spur- Serbian's perspective, I think, that it feels like Serbia have you know, really failed to make an international mark. Yes, there was that win over Germany at the World Cup, which was a massive thing. Um, but since you know becoming independent... It doesn't feel like Serbia have perhaps taken off in the way that maybe it would have expected to, especially given, you know, the, the amount of talent that's come through. And look, I think you can look at Croatia just across the border, right? And you'd imagine there are some serious envious glances being thrown across that border, you know, from two countries who have a massive rivalry and seeing Croatia get to the semifinals of a World Cup, the finals of a World Cup, really start to, you know, kick onwards with a similar football structure within the country, I think is probably fair to say. And then you look at Serbia next door and they're kind of like, we have the talent and the players, and we should be able to be making these kind of impacts. And yet haven't. And this felt like a massive, significant moment. The Serbia down Portugal in their own backyard, as you say, one of the you know, favorites would have been the favorite in this group by a long distance to, to make sure that that, you know, automatic spot was their own to so then go and make that moment. And for Mitrovic, who is obviously Serbia's top scorer of all time to make that mark, I think it's just phenomenal. And just overall, what a story and what a moment for Serbia and for Mitrovic.
3: Yeah. Um, Peter, I saw uh, a Serbian uh, Twitter account say Mitrovic was already a God in Serbia, but Mitrovic is now whatever is above God. There is no word for it, but that's what he is.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty, it's a remarkable story, to be honest. And it was such a classic Mitrovic header as well, wasn't it? It just happens to be unmarked, happens to be in that kind of space uh, to head home at the back post. And it, it is so, it, I mean, it, it, it's so remarkable because of how much has changed in the space of 12 months, isn't it, for him? I mean, we all know how difficult it was last year, sidelined under Scott Parker. You're watching Ivan Cavalera lead the line in attack. I remember the Man City game in particular where I think it was Abubakar Kamara came off the bench before him, which, you know, you could make sense. But if you're Alexander Mitrovic and, you know, you're the key man in, in this Fulham team, you want to prove a point in the Premier League, every, just everything about that time, and then there's a penalty as well. And you to have it flip so incredibly for club and country in that time period and then be able to sign it off with a goal like that... Um, I mean, he doesn't need much more of a boost to his confidence, but I mean, it would just work wonders for him. And um, Serbia has always been uh, like his backbone, hasn't it? And he's always delivered for Serbia. He's always scored goals. And you did wonder after the Scotland miss, while there was never really much of a sort of a backlash against him, there was never a sense of, oh, it's Mitrovic's fault. It could have been anyone who missed that, that penalty. For him personally to have that sort of mark against something where he's clearly enjoys himself every time he plays always in, in amongst the goals to have that sort of mark you thought oh what will this do what will this do but of course he responded you know obviously there was the the goals in the March international break to start with and, and now and now I mean in terms of a legacy you know it's it doesn't I just it's unsurpassed isn't it I mean it's phenomenal and, and from, from a Fulham perspective the only disappointing side will be uh, Marco Silva's uh, probably reception for him when he comes back into training <laughs> training ground uh this week so um yeah a penny for
3: his a penny for his thoughts when that (laughs) went and he must have thought good but bad but good but uh." (laughs) ah i I mean there were so many it felt like memeable things out of this as well jack like you had ronaldo in tears quite funny you then had mitrovic going onto the pitch afterwards in his pants to go and celebrate with the (laughs) serbia fans not only that but with a can of Coke in his hand, which obviously, if you remember the Euros, Ronaldo famously pushed away the bottles of Coke. I'm sure it's not staged. And then, of course, you had Mitrovic eating a pizza afterwards and just basically chuckling to himself like a little kid. Every um, time he does something good, he eats a pizza. Do you remember he yeah. had one after the playoff yeah. final as well? He just loves pizza. Pizza uh, and you, beer, it's
2: all he, is there it's anything all he more needs. all you could love about Mitrovic. he just like, after the game, there, like, what do you want? He's like, probably a Domino's, to be honest, mate. Um, <laughs> <and> like, <laughs>
3: I'm I'm there I'm with you my man I'm with you and it's just so many great moments. Also, um, Fulhamish got tagged in a video, which was the Serbia fans on the streets of Belgrade singing "Metros on Fire." Your defense is terrified. with um, Fans dancing on cars, um, and uh, they tweeted us saying, "At Fulhamish Pod, we nicked your song. Hope that's all right." <laughs> we just responded like, "Yeah, go for it, lads. You don't need to also like ask. as in
2: we didn't. We it's not our song. <laughs> not our song to skip. <laughs> like, really, didn't, I didn't write it. I'm so sorry. If it was, if it was the song of
3: you know Stephy." Hansen's one from a couple of years back, maybe, maybe, but uh, not this one. Oh, just uh, extraordinary. And also, from a Fulham perspective, obviously, we've got now a, a Mitrovic with his tail up. He only played 45 minutes over two international games. Yep. So, apart from maybe a, dr- a rush of adrenaline after scoring that goal, he hopefully shouldn't be too knackered. Also, picked up a yellow card for taking his shirt off. So, now is suspended for one of the uh, games in March. Um, so, in the March international break, he should be fairly fit for us as well, which uh, is obviously going to be an important time of the season. So, so from that day. perspective, from that perspective it <laughs> worked out brilliantly. Um some other international uh, bits and bobs. Um last night uh, we had Decadova Reed versus Robinson in the Jamaica versus USA game. It finished one all um between the two sides. Manuel Antonio scored an absolute stonker. Um uh, Mikhail Antonio mate. What, what, who did I say? Manuel Antonio,
2: his Spanish cousin. Ah, no. <laughs> Miguel Antonio.
3: <laughs> I don't know where that came from. There we go. Miguel I Antonio. I didn't, I
1: didn't know what to say.
0: <laughs>
3: is there a Manuel Antonio?
2: I'm sure there is somewhere, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who he is, though. <laughs> Sorry, mate.
3: <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I don't know where Manuel Antonio came from. Anyway, Mikel Antonio scored an absolute scorcher. Um, I was about to talk about embarrassing gaffes. Um, Dover-Reed and uh, Anthony Robinson had a spectacular moment uh, in the 55th minute where... Um, Anthony Robinson, the, the the cross comes in from Jamaica. Uh, Robinson scuffs a clearance that he really shouldn't be scuffing. It seemed quite easy to deal with. It falls to Decadova Reed from three yards out, um, who then blazes it over the bar. In terms of, um, you know, amazing Fulham international moments with Mitrovic, too. It, it is these sublimes of the ridiculous, really, in terms of uh, international moments. This 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 fortnight.
2: I think it's good. I think it's a really good thing. I think we can look at this and go, look at the team spirit. Look at the camaraderie within this Fulham squad. They're trying to assist each other, you know, even <laughs> and when they're playing e- and each other out
3: of mistakes. And then, and then Bobby Reid
2: goes, thanks, Anthony. I appreciate it. But it's actually very rude if I score this because it will make you look <laughs> terrible. So he hammers it over the bar. This is the this is this group. This is the squad we want, right? This is the love between the squad right now. I, I love it. Great, great scenes.
3: From North America to Africa, then, and it was the big uh, Angisa versus Seri battle. Uh, do or die, winner goes through. And uh, sadly for John Mikel Seri, uh, it was Andre Frank Zambo Angisa who's the uh, happier of the two here.
1: Yeah, he's going from strength to strength, isn't he? He's doing well at Napoli, and now he's crushing Seri's dreams. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, massive game last night, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, between the two countries obviously the winner goes through to the next round of qualification there's another round isn't there a playoff and then then the winner of that will, will go to qatar um but yeah to have cameroon and ivory coast in the same group is is almost brutal in a way isn't it i mean they're two absolute footballing powerhouses
2: um they're ranked uh, exactly next to each other in the world as well if I'm not mistaken 53 and 54 so um, that is yeah. incredible so, knowledge you had to yeah. have looked
1: that up before sure. I looked
2: it up last night because I was looking at the different because okay. basically calf seeding means that um, the top five basically can't play each other and they'll play one of the bottom five so I was looking at the different things but I was watching the Ivory Coast Cameroon kind of the denouement of that game if you will uh, and, and I was doing it and I was like oh and I put the slash in and I was doing and I was like 53 and 54 oh, okay that's interesting isn't it um, so yeah yeah it was, um, it was too it was honest, too mate. Much of a shock. You
1: should have just said, you know that. You just know uh, the rankings. Uh, look, he
3: knows no, the no, entire po- international rankings. <laughs> one to 210 <laughs> off by heart. It'd be, a, it'd be a hell of a party trick for about Great 15, party second, trick. For yeah, 15 okay. seconds. For 15 seconds. And then <laughs> everyone would <laughs> be like, shut
2: up, mate. What are you doing?
3: But yeah. Matt, I think that's something you could do. Jack, rather than like listing it out one to 110, if I could just go 173.
1: Yeah, and I'd just go, I don't know, Tuvalu. Papua New Guinea, yeah. yeah. Isn't that a requirement for ranks, though? Like, it just goes with the name. You just need to
2: well, know yeah. the
0: rankings, yeah. Yeah, Ranking I mean, I'm everything.
2: not sure. I'm not sure. It's probably a little bit of a stretch. I'll give that on to Sam.
3: Who's 13th in Serie B?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, um, I mean, look, it, was, it wasn't it was great. But Seri did score a goal, Peter. He scored a goal mm, against Mozambique did. in the game beforehand. He's played a lot of minutes, actually, in this international break.
1: Did, he did get supper, didn't he? 70th yeah. minute, I think, against Cameroon. So a little bit of respite, but hopefully hopefully he'll be rested enough. He, he, we talked about him before. He needs to be needs to have his minutes managed over the course of the season, but big disappointment for him. Hopefully he'll be fine.
2: Huge, big one for Niskins Cabano, though, because DR Congo into the playoffs. They are the lowest ranked team in the playoffs. There you go. Um, wow. There's, there's one for you. That's actually also true. Um, he didn't play in the crunch match against Burnin. Um, but they did win, so DR Congo in the playoffs. He got forty-five minutes against Tanzania when they won 3 0 So who on earth they good.
3: got a left wing that's above Niskin's Cabano? <laughs>
2: do you know what the I was looking at this the other day? The um, this guy Yannick Balassi still very much within this side. Brilliant, um, he's still playing. <laughs> the actual DR Congo national team, the front line is actually very good. I was looking at it like, oh, this is a this is a bit of a saucy little side. Um, but they they got done what they needed to do. But um, yeah, ultimately it was. It was great. There's, there's a lot of players here that you'd look at. Cedric Bakambu came off the bench, the guy who oh, scored yeah. the goal. Mercy Umbakani, which his name means thank God, which is great fun. Gail Kakuta, captain, is actually who plays in front of Niskin's Cabano
3: on that, that side. That is unfortunate. If you play for DR Congo and as good as Niskin's Cabano, you must think you're having a chance of starting for your nation. That is really unfortunate. And then, yeah, <laughs> and then
2: national captain, Gail Kakuta, uh, once also of Fulham, we should say. Um, yes. Uh, it was quite good it, for us, isn't it? Yeah, he was unbelievable. Uh, the best six month loan spell I think I've ever seen at the club.
3: Yeah, he was very, very good for us. Um speaking of players that had unbelievable cameos, Ollie O'Neill, Jack, uh for the Republic, um <laughs> kept Ireland's hopes of under-21 Euro qualification alive with an absolute bullet.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous goal, right? It's um there was it was struggling to kind of get it onto the internet last night because you could only get it off RTÉ with a with a um what are they called a VPN on, so that was the only way you could watch it. But basically, it's ninety minute, ninetieth minutes. Ireland are under twenty ones are going out of European qualification, and suddenly there's a beautiful ball, ball through from Conor Coventry, and Ollie O'Neill takes it, beats his defender, and slams one home. And there are uh, talking of like really, really cool pictures, um, the images from Ollie O'Neill after scoring the winner are amazing, and then he gives a really, really good interview afterwards mm-hmm. as well, It's saying, you know, they're saying what's it like? He's like, I have any words, I don't have any words, I don't know what to say. Um, but it's a real kind of heartwarming interview and a moment. Obviously, he's just started to to break through into this side, and yeah, a massive goal for for him and for the Republic to to keep things cooking along. And yeah, it was um it was really enjoyable and really really good
1: finish. He he dropped out of the last. I think that was his first under twenty game. Was it, his, it was his debut, wasn't it? I think, uh, I think it he, second, made his de- he definitely
2: made his debut in this international break. In this break, because he was um,
1: in the squad yeah. last time, but dropped out because he had, because he tested positive for COVID. Yeah. Um, so it was good for him to to get on and, and have that kind of impact as well. He's obviously, he's been impressing at Fulham as well, while we mentioned him, you know, he's been been training with the first team quite a bit. So uh want to keep an eye on as well.
3: Another player with not very long left on their contract.
1: Uh, sadly not, no. At the end of the year. But Familiar. What, yeah. Um. So the final
3: thing from the international break that I just thought was um, reasonably interesting is what happens in January. So we talked about uh, Jean-Michel Seri and the fact that he's going to be representing, you'd assume, uh, the Ivory Coast at the African Cup of Nations and how many games that Seri might miss. So. FIFA rules state that players have to be released 13 days before the opening match of a tournament. Now, considering the World Cup, they're only asking for players to be released eight days before. You wonder if there might be a bit of leeway here. But if they are sticklers for that rule, that will mean that Seri's last game for Fulham would be Birmingham City on Boxing Day. He'd have to be released on the 27th of December. So Seri could miss the games against Reading and Swansea, which happened over Christmas and new year, he would definitely miss regardless of anything. Uh, the FA cup third round, he'll miss Bristol city at home and then stoke away. And then he could miss Blackpool or Middlesbrough slash the FA cup fourth round, depending on how far Ivory coast go in the tournament. And as one of the better teams in Africa, you would assume that Ivory coast will be reaching the latter stages of the tournament. So that's a lot of games, um, that he'll be missing. Um, Also, another permutation is that there is a weird international break that I've noticed. And I don't know if this is massively common knowledge that it's happening at the end of January. Now, there's never normally an international break at the end of January. Normally, now there's a big, long gap. Um, It goes over the weekend of the 29th of January. The Premier League aren't playing and there are no UEFA scheduled matches. But Peter it could mean that on the 29th of January against Blackpool, because there are championship matches weirdly this weekend, that Fulham could be without John Serry, Anthony Robinson, Tim Ream and Deca Dover-Reed on that weekend. Surely that's probably getting towards the limit for a postponement.
1: Yeah, you'd imagine they'll they'll ask the question, because you know clubs would tend to request a uh, postponement if, if they are missing players for for international, but um it'll be tight because it's not it's not a big number but it's a, it's a good number of important players isn't it so we want to keep an eye on that as we get closer to it
2: yeah i've got i've got some some information for you um, ah. regarding john mccarthy um so obviously we, the draw has been made for afcon um and they're in a group with algeria who are widely i would say the two best sides in 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 africa at the moment are usually kind of considered to be Algeria and Senegal, with Tunisia right behind them. Um, Ivory Coast are in a group with Algeria. So if this was to play out on paper, which obviously it doesn't, um, the chances are they might well come second in Group E, which would mean they'd have to play the Group F winners who would be Tunisia, you'd imagine. Mali are quite a good side as well, but you'd think that Tunisia probably have the goods to win Group F. And that would mean that on the 26th of January... Uh, Tunisia might play the Ivory Coast, which might be the end of John McHale-Seri's time at AFCON. I mean, I hope it's not for his sake and for the Ivory Coast's sake, especially after the the pain they will be suffering currently from not qualifying for the playoffs of the World Cup. Um, But that is the kind of moment I've got kind of pinned as that's where I think their first real test will come. And there's a chance that they don't get past that day in the 26th of January in Limbe.
3: Okay, which would still mean he'd be in a, 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 probably not be able to make it back for that Blackpool game three days later, you'd have thought after a no. tournament. So, yeah, I guess it does kind of throw that match uh, at the end of January into uh, some serious doubts anyway. But, yeah, it's definitely going to be some games, certainly at least three, probably more likely four or five um, without John McHale-Seri. I, I mean, Peter, who... who It'd be interesting to see what Marco Silva does when we get to that stage of the season. Kearney's kind of deputised well for Sarri, um, but also with players like Chalaber in there, um, you'd imagine that there might just be a little bit more rotation.
1: Yeah. Um, I feel like with the sixth position with Harrison Reed in the team, obviously he's been playing as, a, as an eight of late and doing, and doing really well in that role and definitely brings more to the to the party when he's playing further forward as well. Um, but having him there means you wouldn't say it would be an immediate immediate loss, but it just takes a couple of injuries and suddenly it's a it's a it's a different picture, isn't it? Um, but as you say, Sammy, with with TC back, um, Bobby Zekadova, Reid can play in there in, in midfield as well. Nat, Nat Chalba we haven't really seen because of his injuries. Um, he's got a it was a calf knock first, and I think it was a hamstring knock second, which is why we haven't seen him. So he should be back actually after international break. So. Once we get him back in, in, in the picture, I think we'll, we can see the, the, the strength of options by the time we get to, to January.
3: OK, right. Well, that, we'll leave that there. And afterwards, we're going to be discussing the Fulham women's team and how they got on in the FA Cup on Sunday.
0: This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world.
3: Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here, still with Peter Rutzler, but we've substituted out Jack Collins and we've brought in a much better replacement, Izzy Barker. How are you doing, Izzy?
0: Oh, I'm good, thanks. How are you?
3: Yeah, fine, thank you. Cheers for coming on to discuss uh, Fulham women. In the FA Cup first round on Sunday, a sellout crowd at Motspur Park, unfortunately to witness a 3-0 defeat uh, against Oxford United, a team two tiers above them in the women's football pyramid. And Peter was there as well. So we've got Peter to, to discuss this. And he wrote a piece uh, in The Athletic kind of all about the game and the rise of the women's team and its um, changeover from the foundation side to the performance side. Um, but Izzy, I'll start with you. You went down there to uh, do a bit of content for Fulhamish. You did some Instagram stories. And there's a fantastic YouTube video as well, which um, yourself and Stephen did, which you can watch on the Fulhamish YouTube channel if you want to get a bit of a match day experience of what it was like down uh, at Motspur Park on Sunday. What was your thoughts on the match? Obviously disappointing to lose, but it felt like such a seminal day, a sellout crowd and, and some real focus on this women's team for the first time. Well, since the glory days of the early 2000s, it feels like.
0: Yeah definitely Um from the offset I was so impressed to see so many faces so many fans that probably regularly go to the men's games as well were were at the game and making the most of that international break so that was really nice to see because you can go to these women's games sometimes these kind of FA Cup games or, or cup games in the international break and still not that many people go to them Um, it's still a real effort to try and get the people down but it seemed like it was pretty much sold out um it was really packed out in the stands and um yeah it was a really good atmosphere definitely more like families and kids and things but um yeah that was really nice to see just kind of the whole full and fan base behind the women as well and I think that really helped the team from the offset and they looked really calm and and they had the fans behind them and yeah it was a really nice day but it it's, I have to say, it was the first time I had been to a women's match, a Fulham women's match. Um, so I think it was the first time the club had made a real effort to get people down, um, to promote it a lot on social media. Um, so maybe it was um, yeah, one of the first times we had seen so many fans at Motspur Park supporting the women.
3: Yeah, Peter, what did you make of the day as a whole? As Izzy said, lots of people down there to watch the game. It's an interesting time for the side as a whole. It is quite surprising, really, from my perspective, how Fulham aren't in the kind of upper echelons of the women's game. But it's been um, a slow start towards something that seems like it's going really in the right direction.
1: Yeah, um, it was really enjoyable actually. I've been to a couple of games now, and it was as Izzy says, you know, there was a real push to get people down, and it was a real family atmosphere. It was Billy the Badger there. It was some face painting, some balloons. I, I was sat on the on the far side of the of the arena stands, uh, main stand, and was next to happened to be with Adam Hurry from Football Cliches Pod, um, and it was his right. little one's first game as well. um So it was quite nice. He had that sort of vibe to it. And, uh highlight for, for them was uh was Hurst, the little one stealing uh, the linesman's flag at half time. Um <laughs> to, 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 to get it back. Um but yeah, um yeah you're right. I mean it's we we've talked a little bit about what, what the sort of plan has been with the women's team and I, I there have been little elements to it where you think they the film could have done more. And I think one of them was definitely that social media side, definitely trying to at least push them and showcase them. Because there is there is definitely uh there's definitely more that could be done to get more people down and when you could see what, what the atmosphere was like on, on Sunday you, you saw the outcome of that and it was, it was a really enjoyable game obviously the result was, was difficult but um, it was actually a lot tighter game than the scoreline suggested and was actually really encouraging I thought and, and Steve Jay the coach afterwards you know, was, he talked about it in those terms said Oxford are very complimentary as well um, and that sort of reflects the, the, the direction they're going Uh, At the moment, of course, you know, we when we think of the women's team and we think back to the early 2000s and and the professional side under uh, when Mohamed Al-Fayed owned the club, um, we're not at that point. And I think one one topic of discussion regarding the women's team has always been about ensuring that the pathway remains there. And there's there's definitely a balance there. I think they want to make sure that they don't fully detach completely from the, the fantastic network they've got within the Fulham Foundation, um, getting girls involved in football, making sure that there is that pathway to the top and and not just trying to buy their way up to that point, um, making sure that they're investing in in the people around the team. Uh, from a coaching perspective I'm, I'm talking about here and making sure that everyone's sort of learning as they go. But at the same time, there's quite clearly been, since the team's come under the performance side of the club, a real push to to change things and to... To start moving in that direction. And they've brought in some new players, all of whom tend to have come from higher tiers in the, in the women's football pyramid. Um, Ellie Olds, for example, has come from Swindon, who's in tier four, which is a tier above. Um, Naomi Felton um, from the third tier, she played for Lake Norrie, now London Seaward. Um, and Oana, Oana Negrea as well, who's played in the Champions League. Um, she's a Romanian international. And, and those those bringing those, that kind of quality has helped. And, but I think on a day-to-day it's definitely the the staff you know um, Steve Jay's now full-time we we talked about it before um, about how he was juggling multiple roles with his foundation commitments but now that those commitments have been taken away you can focus uh, fully on the team um, there's more access to sports science um, just the whole feeling is, is taking a step on again you know there's, it's, in the last couple of years it's come under the Fulham umbrella now it's it's like right now we're actually going to start pushing on a bit more and for now it's 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 about building those foundations, I think. Um, yeah. But I think, as as I'm sure as he will will testify, you know, they were they were really good on Sunday, really really impressive against a team who you could tell had that quality about them, had that ability to play a couple of tiers higher up. And um, but yeah, some some promising signs for sure. And it's it is a really nice atmosphere, is the one thing I'd say. It's it's, it's different atmosphere to the men's game, and it's it's absolutely enjoyable. And the, and the football's good fun as well. And they're a good team, so it's definitely definitely worthwhile. And hopefully there'll be more more occasions like this where they they can build that fan base a little bit more and and get people coming more regularly.
3: Yeah. Izzy, it sounds like Fulham were a bit unlucky really in stages, as Peter said, the quality shone through of Oxford, but, but Fulham had some chances as well, particularly, um, in the first kind of half an hour, um, Fulham definitely found some space in the Oxford box and a little bit of better finishing, a little bit of better luck. And we could actually made a bit of an upset out of this.
0: Yeah, I didn't think you could tell that Oxford United were two tiers above Fulham. I felt like, as I was saying, we didn't have that kind of pressure and nerves of that big cup, big cup occasion and all the fans there. I felt like from the goalkeeper, Edie Kelly, um, she just seemed really calm, really assured. And that kind of um, was was throughout the whole team, really. And yeah, we had a few flashes Around that, the um Oxford's goal and I thought, um, you really couldn't tell that there was, you know, two tiers between the two sides. And I felt it was a real sucker punch to concede right at the end of that first half, because it wasn't a reflection of how well Fulham were playing. I guess it came down to the fact that Oxford um are probably, you know, they're not fully professional, but um they're training more Probably then the Fulham team because of the the tier difference and and it came down to their kind of fitness at the end and they could kind of weather that storm but um I thought players like awan and they just looked unreal they looked like they could be playing in the championship and at least and and yeah Helen Ogle had a few good chances as well so um it was a it was really I was really impressed because I thought oh god if it's if all these fans have come and it's a real hammering score that's not gonna be a great great reflection or advert of Fulham women for the fans and it might not it might discourage them coming down again or 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 sadly even taking them seriously because that you know these big score lines in women's game um people are really critical of where, but we see see it with England men and and San Marino, et cetera. But um, yeah, so it was good. It was a really good advert for Fulham women and it really encouraged fans to come down again. And and I definitely go to a lot more games.
3: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, Peter, if this ever goes to Craven Cottage. I saw Edie Kelly uh, say something about it on Twitter because someone asked her, "Oh, well, it was a shame that it wasn't at Craven Cottage. And and, uh, her response I saw was effectively watch this space. That really would make a massive difference. I know there's sometimes talk of trying to double it up with a with a men's match like it's the hundred in cricket. But I imagine logistically that must be a a pretty difficult thing to do. But if they can get a game at Craven Cottage, it's made such a difference for teams in the uh, in the women's Super League when Arsenal have played at the Emirates um, Spurs have played at the Spurs Stadium if they could get a game or two at Craven Cottage I imagine there'd be a decent amount of people that would want to go down even more than actually willing to come down to, to Motsford Park and, and, and to the, I mean it was sold out it was 300 or mm. 400 people but it still was sold out you'd imagine might be able to get a thousand or two to Craven Cottage
1: yeah, I mean, as you say, it was sold out. So um, I think it would be a statement for Fulham to do that. It would be a real commitment sign for them to to to, to put the women's team on at, at, at the cottage. And I think you're right, Sammy. I think there would be definitely scope for a number of people to get down there. I mean, and and that those are the kind of steps you want. It's it's that reflection of saying, right, we 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 are taking this far more seriously than, than has been done in the past, and and really pushing it on, and, and underlying those. Those, those improvements that are being made across the board, really, um, and I think yeah, for, for the team as well, it, w- it would only add to the to the feeling. You know, at the moment, that now that they're on the performance side, they're ve- they're always at Motspur Park, they're always in that professional footballing environment, and that even that in itself makes a big difference. And and I think playing at Craven Cottage is an is an extension of that.
3: Yeah, well, brilliant. It was uh, a a great, great uh, day for the Fulham women's team. Uh, They're back in action uh, this Sunday, the 21st of November, back at Motspur Park. Uh, They're playing Harry Borough. Um, which is a big match in the Capital Women's Senior Cup. Uh, and they're doing well in their league as well. Uh, they're only second in the table. I think Ashford Town are top, and that game's coming around soon as well. So there's definitely some uh, brighter days uh, ahead for the Fulham women's team. And it's great to see them up in lights uh, from all angles. And great coverage as well in you know, there's Peter's piece on the Athletic. Uh, Fulhamish's Lydia Campbell also uh, did an article on them for BBC Sports as well over the weekend. So. Uh, a really, really positive weekend for the women's team. And finally, great to see them getting so much coverage. Uh, Izzy, we'll, uh, we'll substitute you back for Jack because we have to. Uh, Thank you for popping on.
0: Thanks so much. One thing I would say is if anyone, I don't know, involved in the women or anything is listening, please give the fans like hot drinks at least, at the very least. And then they'll come back to games because you can't get a single hot drink or any any refreshment at the women's games so far. So I think that is important (laughs) to get fans back. Honestly, it is. We can't talk about playing Craven Cottage and you can't even get a cup or a full of of women's game at Moxford Park. But yeah, no, thanks so much for having me on. Rant over.
3: (laughs) No, that's fair enough. Get a tea truck for Izzy now. She demands it. Um, Izzy, cheers. Thanks very much. Thanks
0: so much.
3: Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Peter Rutzler and Jack Collins is back. Hello, Jack.
2: Hello. Welcome. Thank you for uh thank you for having me back. Also, shout out Izzy who stepped in there. I was, I was away last weekend, so I wasn't able to get down to Mottsburgh, but um her insight on that is is remarkable. So yeah, wicked. It's always good to have us on the pod.
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, A lot of people have been asking us about the Fulhamish T-shirts, by the way, and when they're going back on sale, if they're going back on sale, because they've sold like hotcakes. They should be back on sale next Tuesday, um, just to save myself having to email uh, the five million people that have messaged us, which is a good thing. um, But, you know, as I can broadcast the message to masses, uh, I might as well do it. Uh, Let's look ahead to Barnsley on Saturday, back to boring old league action for players like Alexander Mitrovic. Uh, will Will he be up for for Barnsley at home in the championship after sending his team to the World Cup finals uh, it shall remain to be seen. Yeah, he's up for it. He'd be up for a kickabout in the park, wouldn't he, yeah. Alexander Mitchell. Yeah, as long as you got
2: my a pizza afterwards.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pizza and a appear. That's all he needs. Uh, and this is a Barnsley side that Peter would be bottom of the league if it wasn't for Derby and their points deduction, their extra points deduction now. So uh, I think Barnsley will know that there's now only really two relegation places up for grabs. Uh, they got rid of Marcus Schopp. Uh, they've got a new manager, Poya Asbargi, uh, the Sweden under 21 manager. I would be lying if I said I was a massive expert on on him. He won't be in the dugout for Saturday. Uh, it's going to be the same uh, interim manager that's been in charge for the last couple of games for Barnsley. Uh, I mean, we I feel like we say this every week, Peter, but like this is just a match that Fulham should be winning. But we, as we know from Barnsley two seasons ago, uh, they were banana skins then and they very much could be banana skins now.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. I mean, when you look at the fixtures coming up, obviously with Barnsley and, and Derby, you would assume that they'd be bankers, but it's not quite the full picture really, is it? Um, obviously the change in, change in manager makes this slightly more interesting. Um, Barnsley haven't done particularly well this season. They're struggling post-Baleri and Ishmael. Um, they have a young squad. It's quite clear what their model is holistically. What they want to do is develop players, sell them on, and build up that way. Um, they did respond quite well after uh, Shop was was sacked um, when they beat Derby two one. I think that's their only winning. Fourteen or fifteen games. Um, I think yeah, weirdly, the, the only
3: other win other than that was against Coventry uh, on the uh, second game of the season. They started off actually pretty well. They got a draw at Cardiff. They then um, beat Coventry, and uh, basically gone downhill from there.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, like like you, Sammy. I don't I don't know particularly much about their new their new coach. I know he's done quite well in Sweden. He's won the Swedish Cup. Um, I'm sure Jack is chomping at the bit to fill us in. Although I worry that even for him it might be a bit obscure, but um, it, it, he's it, a young coach. That's that's for sure. So
2: yeah, thirty six years old. Um, he is young. Which I, I would also be lying to say that I know loads about him. Um, I've chatted to a couple of people from who who have kind of the their roots in the Alsvenskan and said that did a really good job when he came in first first season at Göteborg, and then his second season won the cup. And there was a lot of upward trajectory, and then it all kind of floundered a little bit. And he was relieved of his duties. He's come in obviously with the Sweden under twenty one side. He it looks like he's done a relatively good job there. There's, there's a lot of kind of hope in Sweden, I think, that he is uh, something to, for the future. And But at 36, is mad, isn't it? There's still players playing at 36. They're going to be players in this league older than this manager. And that makes, a, a, like it's a funny old thing to happen. But ultimately, it feels like he started young and there's a lot of kind of hope and aspiration of where he would become. Um, I'm not quite sure how that kind of figures in now. And especially considering he's not going to be in the dugout. For this game, it, it kind of does work around a little bit in terms of I don't think we have to worry about it too much. Um, the kind of flip of this, and maybe the funniest thing of it, is obviously his final game in charge of Sweden under 21 was that 1 0 loss against Ireland that Ollie O'Neill scored in the 90th minute. Um, ah. So he'll be, uh, hopefully, Ollie will be in the touch lines just waving at him, going, Remember me, um, <laughs> just you know to try and put him off before this game starts. But yeah, uh, one to keep an eye on, but I don't think one to hugely worry about for right now.
3: No. Uh Corley Woodrow, uh still very much at the heart of this team. Uh he was brilliant last year. Skipper. Peter um Scorley Woodrow. He's got three goals in seventeen. That does make him their joint top scorer. Um they really, really have been struggling for goals. Um he's twenty-six now, Corley. I, I kind of um find it kind of remarkable that he is that old. He still, I still think of Corley Woodrow as the the young 18, 19 year old. Like he was someone that really benefited under the Ishmael system. And it, it always was going to be a bit of a struggle for them to kind of go again after they didn't make it to the Premier League. It was such an amazing season for them last year that just petered out in those playoffs over Swansea. Because I think a lot of people thought they were dark horses to to go on and and win the playoffs. And actually, as soon as Barnsley went out of that, I kind of had this feeling that Brentford's real challenge in the playoff final had gone because I just didn't feel like Swansea were ever going to give them a a real test. Whereas Barnsley might have actually not been very, very comfortable for Brentford in the playoff final.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely been a drop-off after Ishmael's departure. He had a really unique playing style. And I can't remember where I was having this conversation, but for what Barnsley want to do, I think because of how unique Ishmael's football is and how direct it is, how aggressive, it's not that well-suited if you're trying to sell players, like if you're trying to build players, build a good portfolio of their ability and then potentially move them on and try and create that sort of structure where you're uh, buying buying low, and selling high. Uh, and I do wonder what this new manager will sort of bring in and I, I can't see them reverting in that direction. And I think maybe that was something that Marcus Schott was trying to do with them and it's just not really worked considering that a lot of that squad will be used to uh, Ishmael's football um, and it is quite an about turn and I guess we've seen this season that transitioning from playing in that way to something less radical um, has hit them quite hard, uh, particularly with the young team.
3: Um, Jack, from a Fulham perspective, uh, you'd imagine that uh, Marcus Silver won't make too many changes um, to the side that played against Peterborough um, and Blackburn. Obviously, we were unchanged um, for the win um, at Peterborough. Maybe internationals come into it, but a bit less than last time against QPR, where we, we didn't really have much time for players like Anthony Robinson and Decker Dover-Reed. They've kind of had that extra 24 hours. So you would assume that there won't be too much fatigue from their point of view
2: yeah i mean there's been a lot of of rotation look even for the players who have to have had to travel right there's a lot of players here in mitrovic and cabano who haven't actually played all that much um which is fine and, and means that they should be relatively fresh there's other players who have had a relatively heavy workload harry wilson yes without traveling quite as far and then anthony robinson who's played most of two games for the us so you look at that and you think maybe there's there's something to be said there about just rotating that side and especially with a player of Joe Bryan's caliber to to step in. You'd imagine that there there is going to be that element of rotation, but I, I can't see him making too many changes. No. And I think the weird, the one for me is Seri, right? Seri could probably do with a rest here. Uh, if I was, if we have the capacity to to just let Seri sit this one out, I think I would. Um, whether that is possible or not is a different question. Um, and whether that's going to be something that Fulham just can't afford to really do right now. Um, I, look, it's that that's a question for the manager to answer, and that's that's where he's going to earn the earn his, earn his keep in so many ways. So, yes, and I think you know, obviously, we have still have lack of injury, kind of, well. We have an injury knowledge on on whether Nachalibur is going to be back anytime soon, or if he's back in training. It doesn't look like that's the case from what we're seeing right now, um, which makes you think that maybe he does go with Seri here, or Tom Kearney starts after another, you know, another two weeks here, where he's been able to get some training into into his legs and and start to move forward and start to get that fitness up to where he wants it to be. Maybe this is a moment for him.
3: Yeah, and you wonder, Peter, if a player like Fabio Carvalho might come back into the reckoning. Um, We know about his contract issues. I I imagine there'll be some people still listening to this that feel like Fabio doesn't deserve to play if he's not going to commit his future to the club. Doesn't feel like Marco Silva thinks that way. So I'd be interested to see if he does get a start either against Barnsley or Derby. You know, it's two quick games in succession. It's a three game week. Um, It would be sensible to maybe utilise him at least off the bench.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good moment to reintroduce Carvalho um, in a more prominent role. I think I think you're right, as you say. Um, if he's not committed, then he won't play. I think we've Silva said that, but we've also seen it. You know, we saw it with what happened to Anguissa in the summer, um, and we discussed at length, and we don't want to go over that too much again. But you know, the, he's, the noises are that it's not a case of him not being committed, not having his eye on the ball. And I think the moment that happens, then you, we wouldn't see him. But if he is, if he's fine, uh, which seems to be the case, then he's a really talented player, as we we all know. And Fulham should definitely make the most of him while he's here, um, because at the end of the day, Fulham need to get promoted. And and if you have a player who's as talented as Carvalho is and has the potential to be, then you want to take advantage of that. And I think it's a good, good opportunity to, to make those changes. I'm also interested to see what he does at right back. Um, considering that Dennis Adoy did come off at halftime against Peterborough. Obviously, you guys saw the game. It sounded like he picked up a yellow card and it became quite tricky for him, so an understandable yes. call. Um, but it, that feels like a moment you could transition as well uh, with Kenny Teta. He's had that extended period now after a massive injury, which would have been probably quite beneficial just to be like, Denis is doing fine. He's doing really well. Let's keep him in. Um, give Kenny Teta that a little bit more space to, to recover and may, maybe we'll see him being eased back slowly as well.
3: Yes, sorry. I forgot that it's Adoy's uh, fifth field card. So Yeah, he's suspended for Saturday. Uh, one game remaining on Tosin's suspension. So you'd imagine Michael Hector will keep his place and then probably Tosin coming back in for the Derby game. Uh, before we finish, uh, a few uh, emails uh, to run through. First one, uh, this is a question for you, Peter, from David Smith. Ooh. He said, I was wondering if you... Peter had any insight into Ariola's move to West Ham after his season with us, it felt like he would get a start for a champions league side. Do you have any idea why he ended up at a club where he has very little chance of starting? Seems like a strange move for both him and West Ham. Can't lie. I've thought the same thing.
1: Yeah, no, I'm surprised he's not been involved more. All I'd say is that it's probably quite shrewd from West Ham's perspective to get a player like Ariola in. I think Fabianski's 36 now. Um, I mean, there's still plenty of... you the goalkeepers they can keep going for a long time, but I think when you've got competition like that, you know, someone like Ariola breathing down the neck of Fabianski, then you're in a really strong position. And West Ham seem to be just going from strength to strength at the moment. they look looking really good in the league, looking like they, they could go further, go deeper in, in European competition. So there should be more scope. I'm like you. I think he should be playing more because we, we saw how good he was um, last year. So... Um, yeah, some surprised, but I think if I think it depends on your perspective. Ariana probably will feel plays more, but if you're looking maybe longer term, I think it it's one that makes a lot of sense.
3: Uh, next question from Andrew Stanley now a lot of the emails I read uh, are all positive about Fulhamish and uh, I, I read the nice emails out this one I wouldn't say is a not a nice email but he's obviously critical of, uh, of things he's heard sounds like we're not the only culprits though Andrew Stanley says let's uh, the history between Parker and Fulham uh, let's completely disregard that he got us promoted in a season messed up by COVID by beating Brentford with a masterclass and doing it with significantly poorer side than we have this season I'm fully aware we had a lousy season in the Premier League with no fans, only weeks between promotion and starting in the Prem, and lots of loans in, as our championship players floundered. He took on the Khan's yo yo tactics, which has seen Silver get much more say on transfers and TK almost disappear from sight. There are a handful of us who think Parker is a very good manager and was passionate about the club. He says the way he is treated on various podcasts is shameful. Uh, we're going to be a lot of Parker debate over the next few weeks, Jack. And I read this email from Andrew, and I I did kind of think, look, there's a a chance at the moment, which uh, is not very uh, nice about Scott Parker. Part of me doesn't like Scott Parker for the way he left, but part of me also doesn't have the memory of a goldfish and does remember that he got us promoted in a pretty amazing circumstance, Jack, against our local rivals. Do you think that some of the discourse, and we're going to hear much more about it in the next few weeks as the Bournemouth game rattles around on Parker, is a bit unfair?
2: I, th- I think there's there's two sides to every story that I would I would give Andrew that much. And I think that there is some elements of, of this that are true. And uh, it, part of it, I think, in, indeed, that win over Brentford will go down in folklore and should always remember, uh, be remembered as a massive positive. I kind of don't accept that someone who loved the club and, you know, had a, you know, loved the club that much would hold the club to ransom in the way that I think Parker did in the summer. That would be my take on this. Um, you know, I don't think if you love the club and you know you've got another job coming in, um, you know, why would you then try and hold out to get paid twice and that so that your new club don't have to don't have to pay that conversation? I, I think it's 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 pretty poor to be honest in general from from what I've what I've seen and what we've read of it and what what seems to be the kind of accepted scenario. Now, obviously, there are going to be moments of that where someone says that's not how it happened, that's not how it went down. Look, we can only work on what kind of. What we've been told, what I've been told, what people have told me around the club, and why why it all took so long, um, and part of that was because Scott Parker refused to just accept the new job and walk away because it meant the last less compensation for him on a personal level, right? And I don't think that's how you treat a club that you love. In inverted commas, um, so so there's it for me. I think that Scott Parker should be always remembered fondly for that win over Brentford, for that promotion in a difficult season. Um, and also, I think it's important to put here, for reinvigorating the club after the Ranieri era and trying to get everyone back on board and back on side again. I think that was a really important job um, that, that was done. But I think to, to a point, he has burned the bridges that he had here in the way that he treated the club last summer. That, that's how I look at it.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with Jack. I think there's two sides. I think the way the way Parker left, um, I can't sit right really. I think Jack described it in quite a fair terms. I mean, it, yeah, the impasse only only broke once Bournemouth paid compensation. So you know, Fulham dug the heels in and, and made that happen. And I, it's you can understand the disappointment and the unhappiness about it. The actual logic of the decision for him to go makes sense. And I we'll talk about this way more in more depth, but. That's fine. I, what I would say, and I think what Andrew's probably getting at, is that Parker isn't necessarily a bad coach. And we were, I remember writing this at the time, and if we actually think about last season and how negative that campaign was, uh, in terms of how it ended, that's not really the full story. you know. We have to remember that there was the slowest start. F- Fulham got very close. I um, actually played some good football at times and know that I know people would point to the lack of goals, but it wasn't all terrible. Um, so there is that side to it I think is probably where the uh w- which is worth considering but yeah in terms of emotion it's probably understandable. I
3: I account it to someone who was really good at their job and then left in a really crappy way. And what do you remember when when that happens? You, you or or like a relationship which ends badly. Like what do you remember? Do you remember the 10 years, you went out with someone and it was all lovely and you did romantic walks and you went to Paris or do you remember the crap way that they cheated on you and they really pissed you off? All right, I don't need to know about your relationship. Going for a few is everything issues, all right like, at home, mate? Like, no, it's not, it's not. This is a cry for help. And you really, really weren't subtle about it. Um, I'm just saying, what do you remember? It's human nature to remember the last thing that happens in a relationship. And that's, I think, what's happened with Scott Parker. Mm. But I do agree. I think that sometimes it's a bit more nuanced than just like, Parker's a prick. He's not. But... He did leave us badly on bad terms. Um, right, couple more. Uh, first of all, lots of people got in touch uh, about testimonials. Jack, uh, yeah, we Simon said on the Simon
2: Morgan two thousand. Yeah, he. we
3: said on last week's podcast that we couldn't remember the last testimonial. It was Simon Morgan. We got a lot of tweets on that. Thank I was
2: basically you, but... a toddler. Can we give me can we give me a break? Please?
3: We also did disclaimer saying like we know someone will tweet which one it was. We just didn't have the facts. Um, but Neil also messaged about an interesting testimonial, uh, which he said was for Glenn Cochran at the end of the Mickey Adams promotion season in 96-97. He'd only been at the club for one season and whilst he'd played an important role in getting us up, I'm not entirely sure it was justified. Maybe it was part of his contract, but he says it was a fantastic occasion. The match was played on an early summer's evening and as a relatively young fan who had only experienced third division football at the cottage, uh, for Cockrell to get a load of old teammates from his Southampton days was amazing. Seeing close up and being able to get autographs from the likes of Shearer, Letizia, Ruddock in the pre fire days at a rumbling cottage was the perfect end to a great and unexpectedly successful season. Keep up the great work with the pod. It's helped me through many a boring commute. Thanks, Neil. That's a, a one I was not aware of. Final message from Tim Miller, who says, loves the podcast. Can't help, but think during last week's game of gold, silver, bronze feature, you missed a trick with the manager. You'd like to have a pint with by overlooking Mr. Fulham himself, Ray Lewington. Uh, he then waxes lyrical all about um, Ray Lewington, uh, and what a great bloke he is. And it, to be fair, it's a top shout. I would also love to have a pint with Ray Lewington. We did say on last week's podcast that we would bring back gold, silver, bronze for Peter as he wasn't there last week. Um, Peter, I'm going to, I had something boring, like your top three favorite Fulham performances this season. Let's, let's, let's scrap that. But okay. what I want to know is your gold, silver, bronze, You've been part of the Fulham family now for a season and a half. You've met pretty much all of the, the first team and the coaches in that period. Uh, a lot of them virtually, but still you've had, you've had conversations. So I want to know your top three nice Fulham players, bronze, silver, gold. Um, I guess it's in the category of who you'd like to go with a pint with. It feels like every question could be out- angled that way, but just your top three nice Fulham players. Off you go.
1: I've got to think through carefully what I say.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of burning bridges, Peter's about to burn some
1: now live on the podcast. So uh, strap in. See, the tricky thing is, I mean, in the pandemic, there's no mix zone and this is all journalists speak now. So I haven't been able to speak to them as often or, you know, as frequently as I probably would like. A lot of it is either virtual or the odd conversation every now and again. So my sample size is not as big as I'd like it to be. However, However, I would say Oh, it's so tricky. Some really nice players. You can see that they're really they're a really good bunch anyway. Oh, Bobby is really nice. Tim Ream was really nice when I spoke to him. Anthony Robinson was really nice. They're, they're all nice. Um I do This is comic gold, by the way. He's <laughs> I'm he's having really a great time, time watching his. Peter struggle, here. Yeah. Um Bronze um we'll do Harrison Reed. Silver Niskin's Cabano, Gold Joe Bryan.
3: Okay, happy, interesting. Very yeah, good. I could, I could, I could definitely live with that. So I, Joe's, you think Joe's the nicest player out of all? And look, I mean, I nice. mean, come on,
1: like my, so like you're, you're, it's not like I, I, I see them every day. I have limited interaction in a very staged environment with these people, so it's 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 difficult to be like, oh, you know, they're all lovely. All of them are lovely
3: you Do journalism, Joe Bryan reads books. I guess maybe the uh, the interests align slightly. You, you like you both like yeah, words,
2: you like, yeah, you, you do the words, don't you? <laughs> like, that's 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 the most basic level thing I think you've ever said. You do words, he does books, <laughs> like, it must must be like best mate, so <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly, exactly. All right, right Harrison Reed, Niskin Scavano, Joe Bryan. Okay, we'll bear that in mind. Um, in the uh, in the list of nice things, um, we'll bring this game i'll give you a better one next time peter uh right that'll do for the podcast today uh we'll be back uh, on sunday night looking back at the barnsley game Uh, and uh that's it all i need to do is thank my guest jack collins thank you very much thank you very much as always sammy and peter do you forgive me for uh, uh, making that game uh, inflicting you with that
1: it's just me they're all nice they're all nice i don't like picking them out but yeah Thanks, you're going to get so much shit in mix
2: zones <laughs> they're going to be yeah. like well, it doesn't like, why exist didn't you? yet they well, still haven't they're... brought
1: them back so I'm, you I'm still wait. I'm free Will you do
2: your next interview be like why didn't you include me in nice players on yeah. the Fuller British podcast yeah.
3: Tim Ream's yeah. going to be like what more do I need to do yeah.
1: Tim, Tim doesn't he should be on there he should be on there I feel really bad Peter's <laughs> <laughs> <He laughs> oh, actually God. beat himself up about it this is I a, don't
3: think Peter is ever you. coming back on I think this is our last time with Peter on the podcast so thank you for all your hard work for the past year and a half no, it's been
1: it's been a pleasure up to now
3: all right have a good weekend hopefully fulham can get another three points come on you whites you whites